But we do have some things we need to talk about. Uh, one of those being uh, a conference that I went to this past, uh, this past weekend. I went to Atlanta, Georgia, went, and went to a conference there, and I flew on Spirit. Uh, it's a cheaper flight because, well, I'm cheap, and, and I'm scared of planes, so you could put me on a cheap one or an expensive one. It's not going to make a difference to me. Uh, but one of the unique, the unique things uh, about Spirit is that it's one of the low-fare airlines, so you pay for literally everything. Uh, that you want. So you pay uh, for any bags that you want to bring with you on or below the plane. Uh, you pay for any water or peanuts that you want to consume while you're thousands of miles up in the air. I really don't like flying. Uh, but one of the other unique things about, uh, about Spirit is that they don't necessarily have first class. Now, they do have, obviously, a front of a plane, uh, and they just so happen to have nicer seats up there. But the way they work is it's, it's almost a first-come, first-served basis. And there is uh, extra value if you are a single rider. Uh, you can kind of see where this is going. Uh, first, first class, baby, right here. Uh, probably the first time and the only time I'll ever sit at the front of the plane. But uh, I had all the leg room I needed, had captain-style seats. I had one of those cool, like, you pull the table out from the arm and it like folded over. I felt like I was like flying through the galaxy on the Millennium Falcon on this thing. I was living it up. I was loving it. Everything was going according to plan until it wasn't. <laughs> we were uh, about halfway backing out from our gate when this man from the back of the plane comes running to the front. And, and while he's running, he is, he is yelling, I'm about to faint. <laughs> and he runs past me, and he semi-collapses, semi-lays down at the feet of the flight attendants, who are already buckled in their seat, mind you. And, and he's just laying there. And th so there's two things. One, as I've already established, I don't like planes. Two, I don't like medical situations. So I'm looking at this guy like, Sorry, dude, my fastened seatbelt light's still on. I can't help you. <laughs> so, so, sometimes things go differently than we expect them to go, don't they? Right? Plans are shaken up. Dreams plummet. People die. And these, these, these unexpectancies, they happen all over. Our, I'm sorry, you didn't, you didn't die. I didn't, I didn't think about <laughs> Oh, man, this is going to be a fun morning. Uh, I didn't think about that when I wrote this. Okay. <laughs> this is an example of an unexpectancy right here. They can happen. They can happen in life. They happen on plane rides. They happen when you're preaching a sermon. They can happen in life. And the likelihood is that many of you in this room, you are experiencing some kind of turbulence in your own life. Uh, I, you are experiencing, and I think Stephen said it uh, in a wonderful way, you're experiencing your own, your own turmoil. He has a much deeper and prettier sounding voice than mine, uh, but uh, you're experiencing it. You are feeling it, the unexpectancy of life, of heartache, of pain. And I pray that, uh, that God will give you clarity, that God will give you patience, that he'll give you courage as you navigate through those unexpectancies. I pray that for you. And the reason I start with that is because the book of Mark, which is the series that we're in, the book of Mark actually starts with the same level of unexpectancy. It, it, it jolts us, it shakes us. 
as we are rediscovering the life and the message of Jesus in this book, in the book of Mark, we are shaken. So let me show you what I mean. If, if you will, we're just going to be in two verses this morning, so it's really simple. I'm not even going to put it up on the board. Um, so grab a Bible if you want to read along with me and go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, and it, and it reads this way. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now stop right there. Okay, here we go. If I ever wanted to hear, if I ever wanted to hear what the good news was from the mouth of Jesus, this would be a good candidate right here. Jesus has come to proclaim that good news. And he says it right here. What does he say? Verse 15, the time has come, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is the good news? Well, apparently it's something that Jesus just said, right? Repent and believe this good news, which I just presented to you. So what is the good news? Well, the time has come and something is near. And that something that is near is the good news. What is the something that is near? The kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom of God. So apparently, according to Jesus, the good news, the good news and the message of the Bible is not about us going somewhere it's about God coming here. The kingdom of God is near. It has come. Are you with me? It's, it's about something God is doing here that according to Jesus is the good news. You see, the, the story of the Bible, the story of this book, is, is about how heaven and earth have been ripped apart from each other. And that is not God's will. It was never God's will to be that way. Something has happened in the story that has created this, this division. God, God wants to partner. God wants to partner uh, and rule his good world together with his dignified, image-bearing human beings. That is God's will. But as you know, and as we experience in life, something has gone utterly wrong. Something has gone wrong in that story, and it's not in how God has set up the deal. That hasn't gone wrong. But because something went wrong inside of human beings. There is this urge, is there not? There's this urge inside of me to not trust God's definition of good and evil. There's this urge to seek autonomy and independence to define good and evil how I see best fit. And the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible is, is to restore the world and to get the hell out of earth. Now, <laughs> I, I want you to, to pay attention to what I just said, because it's foundational to the story of the Bible and the good news of what, about what Jesus is all about. I did not say that the story of the Bible is to get people the hell out of earth. But the story of the Bible is God restoring the world and getting the hell out of it. God hates hell. He hates it. 
And Jesus, he, he comes onto the scene. In, in, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus comes onto the scene announcing good news. The time has come, Jesus says. The time has come, and heaven is here to invade earth and to confront evil. That's what he says. And we're only at the beginning of the book of Mark. I mean, we're only, we're not even on page two yet, right? We're, we're just in the first paragraphs. So as we read, as we read through this book, throughout our series, Mark My Words, I want you to pay attention to the moments when Jesus is going to confront evil, he's going to confront hell, and the disastrous effects that it has on human beings. Jesus hates hell. He hates it. And Jesus is always looking at something deeper inside of us. So how are those two things connected? So Jesus, and I've, I've talked about this before, so maybe you've heard me say this, but Jesus cares more about the injustices in the world than you do. Believe it or not, Jesus cares more about the injustices that we see in the world than you do. Right? While we want to eradicate murder and thievery, Jesus wants to eradicate hate and greed from the human heart. While we want to eradicate sex trafficking and child slavery, Jesus wants to eradicate lust from the human heart. While we want to eradicate racism and genocide, Jesus, Jesus wants to eradicate pride and contempt and rage from the human heart. We want these things gone from the world. And Jesus also wants all of these things gone from the world. But he's even more serious about it than we are. You see, what are genocide and sex trafficking and racism and, and all of these things that I just said? I think we can agree that they are raging hellfires that are destroying our world. They, they, are, they are things taking place in our world that are destroying it. But they are ignited, these, these raging hellfires, they are ignited by these small sparks of deep-rooted distortions in the human heart and the human mind. That's where they find their spark. And Jesus, he wants to get the hell out of this world and he wants to get the hell out of us. He wants to get the things that are living inside of me that are destroying our world. He wants to remove them from me. And that is good news. But it can be a double-edged sword, can't it? Because while I can agree I want Jesus to get the hell out of the world, I don't want him to get rid of me in the process. Because we've met the enemy, haven't we? He is me. And at first, this doesn't seem like good news, but it is because who it's coming from. I want you to think of it this way. If a surgeon comes to you with a scalpel in his hand and he says, I need to cut you open to get something nasty and ugly out from inside of you, that thing is killing you and I want to remove it. You would consider that good news, wouldn't you? Now, it's going to be painful, of course, but it's good news. And folks, that's the story of the Bible. So how does this work? How does Jesus, the great physician, do this in our life? Well, I'm going to push it off because well, that's what the book of Mark is all about. Right? We, we're going to rediscover the life and the ministry of Jesus as we read this book. Jesus, 
spoiler, Jesus is going to live a perfect human life. He's going to live the life that we have all been designed to live, but we fail. Jesus is going to live a hell-free life that only loves, that only gives, and is only other-centered. And his life, the life that Jesus lives, the life that we're going to read about in this book, as we read through his story and his life in the book of Mark, that life is going to be so repulsive, so offensive, and so scandalous to the people around him that it creates the greatest paradox of the Bible. And that paradox is this, that God so loved and was so committed to his broken world that is ruined by hell, the, the hell that we create here. He so loves it and he's so committed to it that he actually allows the hell that we have created to overwhelm him and to destroy him. But, but God is so committed to his world that he created in the beginning that he called very good. He loved it so much that he didn't allow hell to have the last word. The resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is a moment of new life in a moment that speaks of God's love and eternal commitment to his good world. Repent and believe. That's what he says. Repent and believe the good news. And that good news is that God wants to get hell, the evil that lives inside of us, he wants to get that out of us. And that's the best and the hardest news that you can imagine. Back to my conference last week. So it was the last day of the conference. Uh, and I'd been away for a couple of days at this point. And so uh, the day that I was going to be flying home, I decided in the morning I was going to send a message to Darian, my wife, uh, to, to just, you know, send something sweet. Can't wait to see you when you pick me up from the airport. <clears throat> Men take notes. Uh, you know, just something nice. So, so I send that message in the morning, and a couple of hours pass, and I still don't hear from her. Strange, but not out of the ordinary. Lunch, lunch comes, uh, and I decide, you know, I'm going to send her another message, you know, just to ensure she actually is going to pick me up from the airport. Uh, so, I, so I send, and in a non-creepy way, mind you, uh, <laughs> I, I check, and I notice that of both the messages, she hasn't even opened them. Right? She hasn't even read them. Okay, now, at this point, I'm, I'm getting a little worried. Like, okay, I'm thousands of miles away. I haven't heard from my wife. She's not answering her phone. So I decided, like you do, to check the GPS, find my friends, of course, uh, to see if, if maybe she is teaching, maybe she's traveling, anything to explain why my wife isn't answering. And so whenever I pull open find my friends, I, I notice that it says she's still at home. Okay, so strange. Here's what I know. Darian, uh, at that point in the day, shouldn't be home for work. She just the, the time, the way it was, she shouldn't be home from work. Darian never actively doesn't respond to me. Like, at least over, a, over half the day, we at least say, like, yeah, I'm still alive. I'm still here. So she doesn't actively not respond. And Darian does not leave the house without her phone. Okay, especially with her, her job and what she does, she can't. So I added those three up, and the conclusion is she's dead, right? She has to be dead. 
So I do what any sane person would do, and I send in a search party, right? God is committed to you. God loves you, and God sent in a search party after you. She was fine, by the way, Darian. She was fine. But there's many in this room who are not, and that's the point. The kingdom of God, it's near. When Jesus said these words, people could see it. They could see him. They could touch him. They could look him in the face. And too many of our stories, they're inwardly focused, especially when it comes to our spiritual life. What can I do to raise me above the line, to be in good graces with God? Uh, What do I believe about Jesus that's going to put me in the right place? And we focus so inwardly on our story that we lose and we forget about the foundational element about what God is doing, and that's that God came here. It's not about what we have done or what we can do. It's never been about that. It has always been about what God has already done. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that is good news. And right after this monumental proclamation in verse 15, we are transported to this scene. By a a large body of water, the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is walking along the shore, and he notices some men throwing nets into the water. And he, he shouts out to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You are in contact with the kingdom of God. So the question, how do you, how do you respond to that calling? And I can't think of a better way to end this morning than by ending with a prayer that Jesus gave to us to pray when we are at a loss of words, when we, are, when we are utterly shocked and don't know what to say. And you probably know the prayer. You may have even prayed the prayer yourself. But as I say this prayer, as our closing, I want you to listen to the words. I want them to sink into your heart, into your mind, and I want you to find how they're connected to everything that we have been talking about this morning. So without further ado, will you pray with me? Our Father who is in that heavenly place, may your name remain holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.